0: you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host
2: hello and welcome to the gallant Few podcast my name is mason shirt and i'll be your host for another premier league show as always, a lot to get through. And with me tonight, starting with Colin McDuff. How are you, Colin?
3: I'm very good, Mason. Um, thanks for having me on. It's, I'm really enjoying um, coming on and getting, getting to talk um, something not Rangers. As much as I love talking Rangers, man, it's it's nice not having a horse in the race and no just being absolutely deflated or ecstatic every time you start a podcast. It's nice going into these neutral. So I went to it.
2: No, absolutely. And uh, we picked a brilliant time. It's just half time in that uh, Man City Arsenal game. It's currently 1 all, So great time in there. But, uh, you know, that, that's what it's all about. And, and next up, we've got Jamie. How are you, Jamie? Yeah.
4: I'm a lot better than I have been recent weeks, obviously we got away with three points for a change, so I've actually come into the podcast with a smile on my face, even though we don't have a cameras on, but yeah, I'm definitely in a better position in terms of my heat space compared to the last few weeks, but I appreciate that, obviously, getting the opportunity to come back on and, and talk football with you guys again, so thank you.
2: Well, yeah, I, I didn't want to mention it, but obviously, <laughs> first time since we've done the pod, first win of 2023, we'll get on to, but uh I'm in no place to sort of Liverpool after what happened uh, not too long ago, so uh, swiftly moving on. <laughs> uh, Colin, um, let's start with Nathan Jones. Then another Premier League sacking. I feel like um, every two weeks or, or every week at the minute there's uh, there's a there's a, a sacking. But I think we called sort of this one coming um, pretty quickly. He only lasted for for 14 games, which is mad really because um, you know the amount of football since the the World Cup, um, he's gone in there, not won a Premier League game um at home. I think their only win come at come at uh, Goodison Park against Everton. Um and they you know they were beat Saturday by 10 men Wolves. Um wolves I think Wolves played the game with an hour with, with 10 men um and he come out with an absolutely core cut again uh at full time and said that um he didn't want the opposition to go down to 10 men. So before we come on to the whole uh you know what happened after that what, what was your thoughts on Nathan Jones and and
3: obviously he's run uh, as um manager at Southampton. Um I'm I'm gonna do a bit of a 180 um from last week and, and say that I think I'm gonna miss him. Um but <laughs> obviously last week we were just ridiculing him and just saying he's a bit of a roaster. And he is, I stand by that, but he's kinda like the pantomime villain, isn't he? He's like it's like the panto season's ended and you're not gonna see Elaine C. Smith until next year. Um that's one for... I just realised I'm talking to two Englishmen. Um, that's one for the Scottish <laughs> listeners. But um, because the more the more I was looking at him, the more press conferences he had, I was like, this guy is just peak partage. Like, there was one um, at the tail end of last week um, before he got sacked, he was talking about how he's, I don't know, he's ultra-fit because he could have been a PE teacher or something. But um, taking the nonsense interviews out of mm-hmm. the equation... The the has been on the wall. He's um, the results haven't been good enough. That same rock bottom of the that same rock bottom of the Premier League, and you, you can see the lack of belief in the side. Even when wills go down to ten men, they they get a goal back. they lack of belief and they just look a bit nervous and anxious and. Whether it's the manager's fault, the players' fault, or a mixture of everything, if the manager kind of gets a tune out of the players, then the manager has to be the one that goes. Um, so I think this has been a long time coming. Um, they've done it way enough time that if they get the right appointment in, they can maybe try and make a push. Um, although I, I don't see it. You,
2: you uh, say you're going gonna to miss him. I'm definitely going to miss the, the, him, but who would have missed one of the best coaches in Europe? Uh, that was what he. He called himself absolute nut cake. um Jamie, what was your thoughts on this? Because I, I was listening to Talksport on, on Saturday um, in yeah. the car, and um, they, they were saying that, that the reporter there said that that was the best that he's seen Southampton in that first half under uh, Nathan Jones. But obviously, what happened in the second half, I, I think that even if he would have sort of survived it another week, but. You know, football's a a funny old game. It's mad that, that, you know, they were saying that's the best performance they've had under him at at half-time. But then to lose 2-1 to 10 men and Wolves, obviously not having a great season themselves, big, big win for them, Um, you know, especially being down to 10. Yeah, I, I, you know,
4: kind of like going back on what Colin said, I think the writing's been on the wall for the last few weeks. Like Colin didn't know too much about Nathan Jones pre him coming into Southampton. Why would I? I mean, he was a Luton manager, went on to be Stoke for a few a few months and then ended up back in Luton. All of a sudden he gets a, a job in the Premier League. So you kind of take it with a pinch of salt and think, well, maybe he's another kind of Graham Potter like he's coming through the ranks a little bit. His team, I mean, let's face it, Southampton, I know will beat us at the best of times. They've always had trouble scoring goals they've got people like Shea Adams up up, up top for them. He's always, he's he, I think his high season is probably something like eight goals in a season. So it's not like they've been pulling up trees. So it was always going to be a tough job. But why you go make that job a lot harder for yourself by actually, I mean, the I get when managers go into press conferences they try and deflect, they try and take the pressure off the players and kind of make it all about them. But be a bit defiant. Don't turn it into them people actually laughing at you. It makes no sense at all. Um, I think his statements are probably the biggest catalyst in him going, because it shows a complete disconnect. It's not the fact that they were losing games. Um, It was only a couple of weeks ago that they put Man City out of the cup, and everybody was going, well, this is the kick-on that they were needed." so there is performances in there. Um, But then to make these kind of comments, it just completely disillusions the fans. I mean, as an owner sitting there, they must have been thinking, I don't even know what what this means or what that... You know what it means for the players going into the, you know, they, they don't know where they stand. The constant changing. A lot of the players they would have brought this season will not be Nathan Jones signings. Let's put that, you know, just in, in a better perspective. But they've got such a young team. Um, I think the, their oldest player um, is James Ward Prowse at 28 years old, um, unless Bednack plays, or I think it's just maybe 29. The average age of the team's like 23 years old for a Premier League team. I mean, that's pretty much unheard of. I mean, Arsenal have always pushed that age category, but not when you're sitting at the rank bottom, right, bottom of, the te- of, the, of the pyramid, if you like, of the, of the Premier League. So it was always a difficult job. I just think he just shown how out of depth he was because he wasn't able to handle the media. He wasn't able to handle those kind of conversations. Um, you know, if it was a player that had said these kind of things, you would expect the manager to huckle the player in and kind of give him, you need to go to media class and um, be surprised if Nathan jones has had any of the classes as that's some of the statements he said um talking about welsh women um pe teacher um best coach in europe um down in the lowly you know luton it just makes no sense um unfortunately he will be remembered for his comments more than his games um in charge of southampton so um inevitable um he was
2: gone no, definitely. I think it's an it was a mad appointment in the first place, to be honest. Um, you know, it was, I think they've sealed their, I think personally they've sealed their fate with, with, with that appointment, whoever comes in there now. Um, but, you know, time will tell. Colin, Jesse Marsh, uh, another, you know, potential mad appointment that looks like it's not going to be happening. Um, he was sacked by Leeds, uh, we spoke about that last, <laughs> last week. Um, he was meant to be taking the Southampton job um, but today news broke, the, the talks have, have broke down. Do you think that's, I just, I, I don't think it's unheard of that sort of a manager gets sacked um, in and around that relegation zone and then he goes to, to a rival. Um, yeah, Dean Smith, actually, I think he did do it, didn't he? But when he left Villa, they weren't really, a, I wouldn't really say there was a relegation uh, with, with the squad they had. But what was your thoughts on, on Jesse Marsh and who do you see? I know gerard has been linked with it. Who did you see sort of going in there? realistically
3: for Southampton I don't know going for Jesse Marsh it doesn't seem to me that they're going to try and just stay up by hooker by cook I think that's potentially going down the route of okay let's maybe try and build um, for a season in the championship um, try and build either way um, I, I do like Jesse Marsh uh, but I think he'd be mad to take Southampton I is a better coach than that I, I, I do um, and in the current Southampton squad, who's I he going in? I don't think i will get a punt. Um, I think he'll have to go back to the, the championship next um, before he gets a Premier League job, um, just because, rightly or wrongly, his only real um, success is came for the Rangers. Um, and there's a bit of snobbery going uh, for England and up to Scotland. Um, frank lampard is one of the the favorites i think he's maybe dropped into five to two um i do like lampard and i think again i don't see southampton saving the season i don't see um any sean Deitch type savior uh coming in and if if the likes of Dyche was to take obtain the southampton job instead of the everton job it's a different ball game in terms of the job in your hands so i think we do need to look at it. next season i think Frank i has got a good track record again getting, getting the best of the young players um jamie mentioned there as a as a relatively young squad um so that, that may actually work in their favor another season where the same nucleus playing in the championship top end a young kind of progressive coach coming in then they can back up another they can back up to the premier league two-year older two-year wiser so i'd like to see lampard going now.
2: well i think burnley have done that with vincent company i think that you know it looks like they're going to bounce straight back i think they're having a really good run at the minute they've gone with a young progressive coach but um i just i don't know who's making the decisions at southampton i just think I'm with nathan jones when someone like dyash was available uh, at the time, I think was was, was crazy. Um, Jamie, just just on that, just last point on Southampton. Who do you think would be a, a good fit for them right now?
4: I I think the challenge that they've got um, is the same challenge that Leeds have got. Is that the traditional firefighters are no longer available. Your traditional Sam Alldayses, your David Moyes, your Steve Bruce's, your Neil Warnock's. These kind of guys that come in, galvanise for six months, and then. You know, leave it to somebody else these kind of people aren't on the market any longer because they've either retired or they've moved on or they, for example David Moyes is only in a job Sean Dice is only in a job it screams an issue that they've made these choices of sacking people when they don't have somebody lined up um, I did hear that Southampton were actually going a bit more afield and they were trying to get a manager and it's over in Argentina but he's worried at coming over and his first job being a relegation battle so straight again it shows where the direction of that club is going I think anybody would be stupid to touch it right now, if I'm honest. I would hate for somebody like Gerard Lampard to go in there. I would think Gerard Lampard, if they were to go in there, go in there when they're in the championship. See if they're in the championship next season, then give them one of them to the punt and give them the opportunity to bring it up because it will be their team. I think if if they go in now, and they get relegated with this team, they'll be last. They'll be left with that as their legacy. Unfortunately, that will be one of their stains. And I think that's the that's the problem that we have right now, is that there's not a big enough managers that want to take it and take that gamble. So you are going to look at a championships type type of manager, but you're probably going to get that at the end
3: of the season, maybe. So I, I don't see a quick fix for them, unfortunately. But see see on that, I know the money of the Premier League um, is. And astronomical yeah and uh, this is very much boyhood fan romanticizing the notion but if a manager like gerard or lampard could say i'll take it but i need a guarantee that i'll be there in the summer regardless of what happens there's a free hit you know that actually sells it to the manager that free hit of come in you get anything that's a bonus and having that pressure off the team and the manager might actually work out more in their favour. Well, I think that's the problem with why Jesse Moss is no longer in the running,
4: is because they were only offering that six-month deal. They mm-hmm. weren't given any guarantees. So Jesse Moss went, this is not the option for me then. So, yeah, I think the fact that they are only looking to give a six-month contract means, that you know, they're not going to get m- many people at, Q at the door.
2: I think they need to be realistic with where they are, though. I think if they're going to attract anyone that's, that's you know... Big names, why? Yeah. Not- the, problem,
4: the problem is the drop of money, and you know the, the sheer volume of difference and money coming in, in in a Premier League season compared to a Championship season. You know, Southampton have made a lot of signs this season, so they would have done that on the basis that they were still in the Premier League. Um, so it is going to be a massive gamble. Can they afford it? Who
2: knows? It definitely will be one to watch uh, in, in the next couple of weeks. But but moving it on, and tonight's going to be a lot of time spent talking about VAR. Um, <laughs> I think we have to, uh, because this weekend, I don't think I've seen so many poor decisions. Um, Colin, I'll start with Arsenal. Uh, they dropped points to Brentford on Saturday, which, um, to be honest, I think Brentford, I think we spoke about previous, Brentford are a very good side, um, but you expect Arsenal the way that they've been going this season to go and kind of get three points. They went, you know, one nil up with half hour to go. Um, and then Brentford equalised. Um, this, was, this was mad. At the time... When I see the goal, I thought it looked a little—it looked offside. Um, but VAR, who was in charge of VAR, Lee Mason, he didn't draw the lines. So he apparently, he forgot to draw the lines, and the goal stood. I mean, <laughs> fair play for him to uh, admit him that, he, that he forgot. By the way, but uh, what's your thoughts on that? He must be a, a secret Spurs fan or something. Like, what's going? On? Like, that's absolutely mental. We, we moan about Scottish first and VAR, by the way. That is nuts.
3: That's infuriated me. Because I took Arsenal in the last man standing, <laughs> and they were 1-0 up, and I thought, I'm through with early kick-off, bang, Lee Mason must have took somebody else in that, in the same last man standing, and that a few people grew go to the Arsenal, absolutely furious. But, it, right, so, I, I've only, I didn't watch a game right, but with ER, I get that, the VAR technician is there to draw the lines surely somebody else is looking at it with their naked eye um, even without the lines I could see, you two could see, the listeners could see, it was offside um, you don't need the, you don't need somebody to tell you it's offside to see I think that looks offside, absolute nonsense and it just shows you like I say on it uh, on the, in the weekly pods all the time like, VAR is great, the technology works but it's a uh, um, it's, the, it's the humans behind it who are still going to make the mistakes. It was absolute nonsense, and Arteta was rightly, um, rightly furious about it. And um, obviously, the way the the game might go tonight, it might that may be two results in the space of a week that go a long way to defining their season. No, definitely, and, and
2: obviously, the the, the result of last week getting beat at, at Goodison. Um, it was it was a you know big big game for Arsenal I think Saturday obviously tonight's absolutely huge but um, I do feel for Arteta a little bit I don't like the way he handled himself at times um, I think that but I think he's got every right to absolutely lose his his shit over over this one Jamie what what was your thoughts on it Um don't don't get me wrong though talking about the game not just VAR. Had, had a few chances and, and they could yeah. have quite easily won this one. They
3: probably yeah, and, deserved the equaliser, for being honest. Yeah, yeah. A, yeah, and and I think
4: you know the, the one thing that I, I'm I'm very keen to try and clear this up. VAR is not an issue. It's the people controlling it. Every decision we're about to talk about, like it's labelled VARs, the issue. Not one of those issues with VAR. They were all about the people controlling it. So so I think there's two massive differences. You know. Um, I think the biggest argument, and I think it's the one thing that everybody wants to see, if you go back to the World Cup, the World Cup had semi-offside automated responses and it reported a zero error report at the end of the tournament. So it got every result spot on. I think reality is, but the amount of money that's in the Premier League right now, that's going to be what's coming in next. And it's probably the right thing to do. But yeah, pre that, as Colin says, you've got one job. What the fuck are you doing? You know, with the greatest respect. Like, I mean, we all thought. Remember, remember when VAR kicked off, and we thought they must have been there were like rulers along the screen or something like that. Like, he just forgot everything. Um, how you, how you forget that when that's your, your primary job? I've got. I've, I can't really explain that. Um, but I think going back to the game, I did watch the first half and um, Brentford. Brentford could have been 3-0 up in the first half. They, they they hit the ball. Um, they had a couple of point blank shots. They were very worth the draw, in my opinion. Um I would like to side with Arteta in his moaning rant. however, I can point to the fact that how many times Liverpool have been robbed in the last three seasons on a Man City and ball at Everton that won the league for them. Or, you know, these uh these these, these last last ditch penalties that go against teams. I'm not a believer in they all work out throughout the turn of the season. You know, that, that that analogy people put together. But he was lucky to get a draw at the best of times. So I, I, it wasn't, I think he's just feeling the pressure because he lost last week. And obviously he's dropped points again. He's got a massive game that's on the night. Um, he's trying to deflect to take it off his own team. Because obviously everybody, the first thing somebody says to him is, is this a slip? I mean, come on, fuck! he's he's literally lost one game (laughs) and he's got a draw. It's not a slip, it's just inevitable that they're just going to have a point where they're not scoring as frequently as they were. Um, At the beginning of the season, you know, Some of the goals he was scoring was just brilliant. It was brilliant link-up play. He's played, you know, people like Martinelli and Saka. They play hundred miles an hour. They're ultimately going to slow down at some point. Um, You can see that. And other players like Son, for example, at Tottenham is another example. Traditional hundred-mile-an-hour player it's going to catch up with him at some point. I just think is just trying to manage that by deflecting it. So I don't buy that, um, you know, he's not going to sleep for the rest of the season, move the back, that he didn't get these two points. But in reality, he was probably lucky to get away with a point anyway. Um, but I do I do believe that, you know, as I said, VAR's not the issue, it's the people controlling VAR. And I, I'm a big advocate for the semi-automated offside that was brought in at the World Cup, because I thought that was really good
2: absolutely we'll give their a rest they just a couple of minutes. <laughs> we will talk about man city um i thought colin that first 45 minutes on sunday was the best i've seen them definitely since the world cup for me i thought they were, were back to their best haaland didn't get on the score sheet but he got an assist they just looked so dangerous every time they went forward and by the way since emery's gone in at villa um their away form's been been really good um, but I thought Man City were just just far too good in that first half. Caveat that second half, I thought they dropped off quite a bit. But I just want to mention Rodri. Um, I, in my opinion, I'd say he's the best holding midfielder in the world. Um, not only just the Premier League. What your thoughts on on City on Sunday? And is that is that a, a mad statement? Because uh, I certainly have a lot of debates with with uh, my close friends on that one. No,
3: look, City were unplayable. In that first forty-five minutes on Sunday, they would have came up to up against ninety-nine percent of football teams in the world, and they're probably going to get the same outcome. And that's that is Man City on their day, Man City under Pep. Um, the big issue this season has been how consistently they can provide that, and it's not too much a criticism because they've done it consistently for years. But they were absolutely excellent um, on Rodri as well. Um, w- w- watching back in the game. He is shit hot. He really is. Um, he's What I do really like about him is probably what you're seeing more and more in the modern game with that whole, what we call him the kind of defensive midfielder, holding midfielder. He steps out at the right time as well. How often do we see a holding midfielder? And all they'll do is protect the back four. And that is very the quiet, unassuming dirty work, but he's involved in the game so much as well. So obviously he gets his goal. But there was quite a few times in that first half he's stepping out and he's 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 actually he's leading the attack. I mean, he played a beautiful ball through for uh, who was Grundergan early um, on in the first half as well. But you see him do that time and time again. His decision making on and off the ball was unreal, and he'll be a big factor in in City, maintaining this form between now and the end of the season.
2: Absolutely. I think he's, I think, to be honest, I think he's been their, their key performer sort of this season, uh, obviously apart from Haaland, but with the goals he's scored. But I think Rodri is, is the first team, you know, first name on the, on the team sheet. Jamie, um, not only Arteta, we just spoke about feeling the pressure. Pep Guardiola's press conferences this week have been very, very fiery. Obviously, the... The financial fair play um, that, we, that we spoke about last week, and, and all the you know the breaches, he had a big dig at Gerrard um, midweek, which I thought was a little bit out of the blue at the time. It was something I was watching Sky Sports News, and I thought, why has he mentioned Gerard there? It was a bit, you know. I thought it was a, it was a dig, um, which he apologised um, for yesterday. Um, but what, what's your thoughts on 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 that? And 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 you know, he's he's coming out all, all guns blazing.
4: Yeah, I think it just screams as somebody who's got you back against the wall, doesn't it? Because I, I kind of feel sorry for him a little bit that he's kind of he, he can't win either way because ultimately they're asking him loaded questions. They're trying to get him to trigger. Um, Will you leave if your if your team, if your club's found guilty of these breaches? So you know, and then if he says no, they'll go. Why would you not? I thought you you Mr have a manager of integrity and stuff. So they're always front loading these questions, and I think he'd probably just. He bit if you like, and, and, let, and let's be honest, I don't think he aimed a dig at Gerard. I think what he tried to do was go was basically say, "Next, you'll be blaming me for the fact that Gerard slipped, and it's probably because he's Spanish. It he comes out slightly different." The national press obviously run with it. Even I kind of took a second glance when I said, like, "He said what?" And Stephen Gerard must have just put the paper down and went, "Well, thanks for that. You know, I, I completely get that, but..." I wouldn't look too much into it. I think it's probably just more about he's trying to deflect from being questioned about the financial fair play questions, really. Um, It's not like it's not like he's 20 points behind Arsenal and he's chasing. And you remember when Rafa came out with that big spreadsheet of stats against Matt, against Alex Ferguson because he knew the title was slipping away from him? It's not like that. I think it's just more he's probably got his back up about, about the financial fair play questions. They're always asking him about this. He has no right or wrong answer. He really wants to believe in his own team. Um, you know, He wants to believe that they've done the right thing. And he just lashed out at the, at the question, and I don't necessarily have an issue with that. I'm I'm, I'm glad to read that he actually made it, he, he he kind of made amends with it and said that he, he contacted Gerard to apologise, and I think you know that that goes a long way to some extent um, because a lot of managers could have said, "Well, fuck it, don't care," but Pep probably realises that actually wasn't on wasn't called for. I was probably acting out of. Just sheer anger, because I can't just storm off from this guy and tell these guys to start off. I've got to be there and I've got to answer the question. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure Jared will get like a signed top for his kid out of it or something like that. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, it was very on Pep like, shall we say, to because Pep can have a moan, but he normally does it about journalism. But he's had he's, he's had a couple of digs this season about other teams. He called it Daniel Levy, I think, when the financial fair play um you know riot sheet was lit, re, re, uh, was read out. He talked about Karen Brady, he talked about that so so he has got it in him to some extent, but I think he realizes that the Steven J1 was pretty much on call for um and needed to apologize. So kudos to him that he did.
2: No absolutely I think you make a really good point about his is the language as well and, and I think that you know, journalists sometimes can jump on things can't, and that's what they're there for. That's what they want. They want the, the headlines. Um, but I'm going to come back to, to VAR again because this this was the biggest mistake um, all weekend for me because um, even bigger than the the Lee Mason one, uh, Colin um, West Ham um, drew 1-1 one one with Chelsea. I thought, you know, talking about the performance before we, we touched on VAR, I thought Chelsea for the first half an hour was the best I've seen them under Potter. I thought they were very, very good. Uh, Enzo Fernandez is going to be a top, top player for Chelsea. I've got no doubt about that. Um, and I thought uh, Yal Felix as well looked, looked really sharp and it was a really good finish. Again, the problem for Chelsea is they ended up dropping points um, West Ham are struggling. But the big talking point is Suchek's safe. What a safe. Um, how has that not even gone to the AR? I, I,
3: I can't believe it. It was uh, speechless. I'm, I'm, I'm even more speechless than the, the first one. Uh, that save was a Connor Goulton-esque, wasn't it? Um, it was a, it was a <laughs> thing lifted right for um, It's The argument will be that his, his arms are in a natural position if you are falling to the deck. But he wasn't falling to the deck. He flung himself to the floor absolute nonsense I can't believe it wasn't even looked at um I really can't Jamie hit the nail on the head VAR works it's the referees who made the decisions who get it wrong um I really can't get my head around it and I do feel sorry for Graham Porter uh I'll say I, my position has not changed I don't I don't see him seeing out the season uh Chelsea but yeah, you can see he yeah, is starting to have an impact and starting to make a bit of an improvement in that first half hour. Chelsea were well, unlucky not to be what three 0 up. Um, obviously they were offside, but marginally offside. Fernandez and Fernandez and Yale Felix are going to be excellent for Chelsea going forward. I don't know if it'll be under this manager, but in a different for a different day, if they just timed a run a nano setting earlier, then that that success ball is just sort of that's trying to stop it being 4-0 and um so i do feel for them hopefully he channels that half an hour and the coming weeks and he does get a better of runner of form because he has a good coach he, he he does he is talented enough to manage a strip of players but again it's just i don't know if he's a big enough personality to manage uh, the modern day football diva absolutely agree i
2: think you've hit you now on the end of that Potter there. That's exactly how I feel. Jamie, what was your thoughts on on Potter um and Chelsea? Um and you know, as say hey, some of their new signings again. Woodrick not really you know, not really doing it so far again, you know, it's gonna need time. But um, you know, bad bad result for Chelsea again though.
4: Yeah, and, and that was the thing, it, you know. It, not, not to mention it was a Derby. You know, close rivals. You would expect them to kind of be up for that. I watched the game, um, and and Chelsea for the first thirty minutes were by far the better team. Murderick um, constantly looks as though he's trying to force the issue, like he's always constantly like, hit it, hit it for me, and I'll run onto it. And he, you can tell he wants to run with the ball every single time, but then it turns it turns into overplay. He's Joe Felix looks as though he. He just looks so natural with the ball at his feet. It, it's actually quite quite pleasing to watch. He, he he's really good, um, and I think I said a couple of weeks ago. I think I, on this podcast, I think Chelsea sorry Arsenal would 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 have benefited more about getting somebody like João Felix than they would have Midrick because of just the way he holds the ball, he's so much better at it. His goal took it really well. Probably could have had two or three, um, but for some reason Chelsea have got this knack recently of letting teams get back into the game. And that's what West Ham did. They 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 turned up the heat. They got a bit guilty um and they went toe to toe with them and got the goal. Um some poor defending. In the second half you felt like you, you actually felt like they weren't going to score. You could actually tell that they weren't going to score. there wasn't that you know it wasn't like go oh, backs to the wall for West Ham. They were sitting pretty comfortable towards it. However, that penalty incident, even from, even in real time, you could tell it didn't look clean in terms of the way he went down and the ball was touched. You tell by the players' reactions, commentary went. I could tell from here that that was a penalty, and then you see the replays and you just think, this is going to be given. And 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 you know what? It's a victim of how the refereeing has actually been done now because the referee doesn't make a decision. But I firmly believe he doesn't make a decision because he wants VAR to get involved to say I've done a wrong decision. He wants them to make a decision for him and call it back if it's deemed it. However, what he should be doing is blowing that up and forcing VAR to have a look at it. VAR, you obviously don't hear anything more on it until about 20 seconds later to see whether, and by then, obviously everything's all fizzled out a bit. It, as Colin said, the ball went. He, the ball came towards Suchik. He dives to the floor with his knee. It passes his knee and hits his arm. That is not a natural position, if you like. That's not a deflection. That's probably the most stonewall penalty you could could have given this season. Um, And it just didn't go. And I think, unfortunately, it's going to be things like that that probably gets getting Potter in the shit that he, more than he wants. Um, I think it's a shame because he's obviously a good coach. He's obviously a good manager. He gets the the right results out of people. He, he, He wants to work with better quality. It's just whether or not whether or not he gets the time and I think and I think to Summerhand you know to flip it around he might actually get the time I'm, I'm saying I don't think he will because I think it will result that go against him but if he manages to stagnate it because what we're doing is we're basing this off what Abramovich would have done Abramovich would have probably punted him in about two weeks time Abramovich punted managers for winning the Champions League so we're judging Graham Potter on what Abramovich would have done we don't know what Todd Bowley and are like the only thing we've got to base it on is that Todd Bowley and Tuchel didn't like each other so therefore, he went. So he might give Potter the time, but I think the fans are starting to turn now. You can hear it. There's a bit of unrest with the fans, and I think if the fans start making the noise, Todd Ball, his hands are tied. It'll turn into what Southampton up to some extent.
3: That's a fine, Jamie. It's no choice to the changing ownership. It's twenty odd years of the fans being used to that type of ownership, where if you fart the wrong way, yeah, the, yeah. a better manager will come in, and that's. The culture of a fan base. I mean, we we all support big clubs in this uh, in this pod tonight. Um, you know that's deep rooted and that's a very hard mm-hmm. thing to change. And more often than not, the manager will change before the fans do.
1: Yeah,
2: absolutely. I think it is. You are right, Jamie, in terms of we're going off what Abramovich would have done. But as Colin says, fans get managers sacked, um, and I think once they turn and as you said but you both said once they start turning, it's going to be. Game over. For, for I, I,
4: I think the only golden goose that, uh, that Potter's got out of this is you can guarantee he's got a big chunk of a contract if he gets punted. You know, to get paid, he would have made money out of this Um that he would have never have made being at
2: Brighton. That's why he. That's why he's looking a million dollars at the minute, isn't it? I'll put our money in the bank. Um, well, again, we'll give VAR a little, a little, a little, break for just, just a couple of minutes. Um, Jamie, I'll come to you first on this one because uh, I've come to you first every time Liverpool got beat. So it's fair <laughs> they got uh, a, a side uh, win on, on Monday night, and to be honest, that's the best I've seen uh, Liverpool uh, sort of attacking wise. I think for a long time, I thought Salah was back to his best, um, and it, it was a, it was a really comfortable night in the end for, for Liverpool.
4: So, I'm kind of indifferent. I don't want to get too over the, you know, too over about it. it's three points on the board. It's local rivals. We need, much needed. I still think there's a hell of a lot more to come from us. That I didn't think that performance was that great. I think Everton played into our performance a little bit. Um, I think, you know, for our first goal was on the back of them hitting the post. We battered them for thirty minutes. Everton hadn't touched the ball in our box once they get across they get a corner and they hit the post. And you just think, uh oh. We obviously get the breakaway. Jordan Pickford, absolute clown, but absolutely tremendous. Pickford at Anfield just he's obviously got this kind of kryptonite when it comes to Anfield and he absolutely makes mez. Um so Salah obviously obviously got the goal which was brilliant to see. Um but that run from Darwin Nunes, like, you know, he's not stopped running since he hit since he hit the Premier League. He really hasn't. His running stats are absolutely tremendous. Um, he's just so eager all the time. But he actually got a pass away. I am shouting, I was in the pub with my daughter watching that, and my daughter shouted he actually passed, and uh, and obviously it resulted in a goal. Um more positively People like Gakpo were actually in that attack as well. It wasn't just Salah, which we're used to seeing. It was Salah, Nunes, Gakpo. Um, They were all charging forward, which was great to see. I still think Gomez had an absolute meh at times. There was was sections where he misplaced a pass back to the keeper and let let Sims in. And I think that was what resulted in actually their first corner. So there's still mistakes in there. But I think Trent had a better game. I think Robertson had a better game. Henderson... Was the was the catalyst of the difference for me? Henderson back in the team. Ant Klopp said it after the game. He's a one man pressing machine. Every time Everton had the ball in their back line or the goalkeeper, Henderson was charging at them. Regardless of the strikers, Henderson was charging at them. And you want to see that? That's that's the energy that we've been missing in the last few weeks. Um, the Gakpo, I mean, he's he's worth a million percent more than a little tapping at the back post. But to get his first goal. And get him on the score get him you know onto the stats i'll take it any day of the week and i'm sure he would as well so he was welcoming of that but i think a special shout out to uh man of the match which was St- uh, stefan biatic um 19 years old played his seventh consecutive league game out of those seven games he's been man of the match in four of them um he's, he's been absolutely tremendous um, Dare I say he's got a touch of Jabby Alonso about him? The way he turns with the ball, doesn't pass it like Jabby Alonso, but he likes to hold it and control it. The, that you know the way that used to do it. I think the lad's got a big future, and I think if, if I'm being honest, I think, I think it helps with the market in the summer because obviously another midfielder. I don't I, not to say he fixes the midfield. I just think he, he gives us another option that we can have in the midfield. You know, we wanted. we said it I think somebody said it last week or the week before where there just seems to be either really old or really young in the midfield. There's no blend. And I think Biatic kind of helps out with that a little bit. Um he's, he was brilliant on on Monday. He
2: he's he's probably been in terms of youngsters I've seen sort of like watching this season, he's been the one that's really stood out. Um, I think there's been a lot of hype over some, and but he looks. Mm-hmm. He, he looked Liverpool for me. Liverpool's best midfielder yeah. um, um, on, on Monday night, Colin. That, I think uh, Jamie's done a really good uh, Liverpool uh, side <laughs> of it. They summed it up really well. I'm, I'm going to touch on on Everton um, a little bit uh, with yourself. Uh, I say I think I think they were they weren't great. I thought they were really sloppy in possession. Maybe again you've got to praise Liverpool for that. They did press them really well, um, and they went with Ellis Sims up front. Uh, on his own and everything just bounced off him. Um, it's obviously a tough game for him to come in. I know that, that you know, they keep saying if we get Calvin to fit, we'll be all right, but he's always injured. Was you surprised to see Sims start? Obviously, he's someone that we see quite a lot of at Hearts last season. Um, what, what was your thoughts on on Sims and, and, and Everton's performance on Monday?
3: Yeah, I think um, just on Everton start in general. Um, we're still on the free-hit stage. Like I said a couple of weeks ago that Daichi's first two games, Arsenal and, and Liverpool, and he gets a bonus. So um I don't think this really changes much going forward for, for Everton. And I probably was a bit surprised to see how how shaky they were. And I don't know if that's maybe it just maybe the the previous regime in the last couple of years lingering over for the players because it's no really something you typically see in a Dutch side. And it's, it's a complete 180. You've seen them really fired up and they would have ran through big walls for them against Arsenal. But obviously you need to take into account this is a derby. Um, you know, it's um, it just adds that, adds that edge to it, doesn't it? Um, so I'd... I'd be expecting him not. not. to look so anxious. Um, and look so wasteful with the ball going forward because, um, they they are always going to be limited with the ball. But it was very nearly a typical date performance where, um, you know, they battled for half an hour, and as Jamie says, like they nearly get one in, and that's how they're ever going to get the points this season. On Ellis Sims, um, hi, he's young. He's <laughs> I don't I don't really know if he's quite out to this level Yeah, I'll be honest. I don't really know if he will be if I'm being that may be a bit harsh. I thought DeMarie Gray would have been the better option for this. Um just in, in general, I think he gives you a bit more of a presence up front. Um if Everton in general were not so anxious, would they maybe have supported their Sims a wee bit more? That's the counterpoint. But no, I was surprised to see him. And yeah,
4: Can I, I
3: just say, I I, I... We were we we knew before the match
4: that um Calvert Loom was not gonna be making it. There was talk that um I think on the Sunday night that he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna play. Um we were fully expecting Neil Mulpey to play. Neil Mulpey, in my opinion, is not great at all, but do you know what he is? He's an absolute shit house. And the way Liverpool's back line have been recently, i fully expected Neil Mulpey to go in and cause an absolute havoc, get people yellow carded pull them tight. When we have seen Ellis Sims, I mean, the lad's just been plucked up from the championship. He's been having a great season with Sunderland. Not much you know, else you can say about it. But as Colin said, the ball was just bouncing off him. I felt really sorry for him because he should have been coming in off the bench, um, not starting that game. I was very, very surprised that Neil Mopi didn't, but I was relieved when he wasn't.
2: Yeah, I, I thought it was a, a really strange one. I, I agree. I think even either option, I think, would have been better for Everton Gray or, or Mope. But I think, you know, you play your you strike. I think it kind of says what Daesh is going to do the long term with, with Mopey going, going forward. That, that's for sure. Um, Jamie, um, Man United uh, won again this weekend. They're on a, a really good run. Again, I didn't think they were great at the weekend. I thought Leeds maybe edged it uh, until the last sort of 20 minutes. Um, but they're just grinding out them results under Ten Hag and uh, got to mention uh, Rashford because on form he's the inform striker in Europe right now yeah what's changed for him I, I, I'm, I'm gonna you know try this I think that the signing of Casemiro has helped Rashford and that whole that whole front line a lot because I think he's given them the freedom to go and play and not worry about defending but um, I think he's been he's been a game changer for, for man united but what's your thoughts on on them uh, as a team and, and uh, rashford yeah i i was
4: i was out for dinner with the Missies on sunday um and we were sitting in a restaurant and i could see a pub next to us and it had the man U game on so i was kind of half watching it and and the one thing i would say is you always felt man you was still going to score even you know the, Leeds were probably the more better team and the more dominant. They, you always felt man you were going to score, um, and it wasn't going to. It wasn't a surprise that it was Rashford. How he's done an absolute three sixty of his career is is unreal because props to him. He's he's absolutely battering teams, um, and I think the key components are the fact that one, he's not been asked to play the number nine role. When he was playing the number nine role, he was he was struggling with the number nine role. Um, he likes to come in off the left so they stick him on the left last season and then they buy ronaldo ronaldo always wants the ball he doesn't like to pass the ball so rashford then can't play his game so i think it's i think go back two years ago we were struggling with the off-field stuff uh, and trying to deal with the, the play style um and i think the way man united was set up the last two seasons hasn't really worked for rashford um however it just seems to have clicked and i think that's i think that's probably back to the ten hag ten hag just got out of the more clicking um i'm not overly a big fan of Lissandro martinez but he seems to have clicked um you know the veghost actually give veghost a shout like he does all the shit stuff pretty decent he doesn't get all the goals, but he, he goes up for the first ball and gets it laid off to the second. He comes deep, he collects it and plays them off and gets some spinning in behind. Whereas if you think of the number nine last season, he was just bolting on and saying, just hop up, 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 up over the top for me. And he was never getting there. Um, it'll be interesting to see if Sancho can get back into this team properly because Sancho, you know, for talent, is arguably the best, arguably the most talented lad in that squad. Um you know, the the seasons he had at Dortmund and the talent he was shown was absolutely outstanding. It'd be interesting to see how he gets back to that. It's also good to see how Ten Hag's manage that situation. It's not very often you hear of managers saying, we're supporting a player from his mental health and we've sent him away for a couple of months to go work on him and then giving him a pathway to get back in. I think that's quite commendable because you would expect that kind of response or that kind of, Um, shall we say, fatherhood from a British manager. This is a guy that's come from Holland and settled straight into the team. He just seems to get it. And I think the Man United fans are going to be, you know, they're more than happy when having Tegenhag in in place at the moment because they've obviously got a path and you can see how they're playing. And I think that goes back to your first question on Leeds. Leeds were the better team, but you always felt Man United were going to score. Um, And I think that's just where where they're at at the moment. I thought a couple of weeks ago, I thought they were on a crazy run that they could probably make a challenge for the top two, but then they go and pull off a couple of silly draws, and you just think you're better than that. You could have done better than that. So, you know, top four is probably what they're going for right now.
2: Absolutely, I think the calls, the early doors for ten questioning ten Hag was absolutely nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, I was get, I got very, I get very frustrated with it anyway because. Um, supporting a Scottish team in England can be very frustrating, and it was <laughs> it was 10 hard can't handle the Premier League, you know this and that. But he's been in the door for for yeah. five minutes after that that Brentford defeat, which was a, obviously a, a heavy one. But he was taking on an absolute shit f- show created by uh, Oli Solskjaer. So um, fair play to him. I, I think um, I think he deserves a, a lot of credit, Colin. Do you agree with Jamie? in there, I think top four was always their main goal this 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 season. I think absolutely. Um, but can they actually challenge for this 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 title? Um, because you know, as Jamie said, they've had a couple of really silly draws. But Man United got um, sorry, Spurs got beat at Man City uh, against Man City last week. Arsenal have, have, have drew the last two and, and are losing two one now. So it's opened it wide open. What's your, what's your thoughts on that?
3: I think momentum's on Man United's side, and it, it's hard. It's a momentum where, as Jamie says, they just look like and You feel they're going to go and get something. Even in the best spells under Scrollshire, you were waiting for the slip up. Now you're waiting for the opposite in that. That comes for a, a bit of unison between the, the coaches and the players, unison between the players themselves. I mean, how many times uh, we had to be Pogba, we had to be Ronaldo, we had to be multiple players over the last few years where it's just somebody was taking the limelight. Now they're playing like a team, and the fans are now buying into that. Um,
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
3: I am looking at the if the result stays the same, the what five points behind Arsenal, um, fourteen games to play, twelve games to play. Sorry, I don't think it's out of, I don't think it's um, out of the question that they could challenge for second place. Um, I think, but I think it's always going to be if Arsenal do start to. Was a better form. I think they might grumble. I don't quite think they have the backbone of Man City. So I think, um, so I think that's Man United where they're in. And again, they look as if they brought that backbone. I feel really sorry for Leeds. They, that that's been their best performance of the season, arguably. And they come away with a old defeat. Um, I hope we Man U. Um, and that just shows the the level we're, we're putting Man U back at.
2: No, absolutely.
3: I think the big thing for Man United is going to be
4: when Rashford suddenly stops scoring, do the others step up and actually fill that void? I'm really, really looking forward to the Barcelona game on Thursday. I know it's Europa League, but again, that management of his team—does he go all out? Does he not go all out? I think it'll be very interesting, and I think it could kind of path. You know, if 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 they're pushing for a top two and they're pushing for a Europa League, you know. Spots, or shall we say, uh, you know, a good run in the cup. How does he prioritize that team? Does he? Because he, he's obviously got challenges around it. Like he, I'm playing Luke Shaw at, at centre back, for example. Um, you know, is he's, he's not got the squad depth he wants. But I think you know, with Rashford, if he stops scoring for a couple of weeks. Where do them goals come from? Does Bruno step up and get them? Does Sancho chip and Does Vigo start actually getting them? I think if they all start chipping in, I think Colin's absolutely right. They do challenge. See if they don't, and it's all on Rashford.
2: they inevitably
4: going to dry up at some point. So it kind of might hinder their ability to.
2: It is going to happen at some point as well. Yeah. I mean, we've seen it yeah. with Haaland. You can't keep scoring... The amount of yeah. goals the Rashford is going to hit a, a dry spell, and it's how Man United sort of cope with that. And I think you make a really good point there, Jamie, about Weghorst as well. His off the ball stats I see it the other day are absolutely incredible, by the way. And I think yeah. that suits the unselfishness suits. I think you see that with Casemiro, uh, Martinez, as you said. You know, they're they're people that do the dirty side of the game that that Man United haven't done well um for for a long long time. So. Um, I think I think that they they're still in with it. I think we're going to see an inconsistent Arsenal and an inconsistent City. So you just never know. You put on a run, you just never know going into them last four or five games. It'll be it'll be an interesting one. But but Colin, coming back to you, um, Bournemouth um, drew on on Saturday night at the, the late kickoff against Newcastle. That's now five draws from the last six for Newcastle. Their top four chances are. You know, I think, you know, if you'd have said to me a few games ago, I said they were nailed on in the top four, but now I'm not so sure. Goals have dried up. They're conceding from set pieces. Um, I thought they were really poor. I thought Bournemouth should have won the game Saturday night. Um, So, you know, concentrating on Newcastle, would you, if you if you could sort of predict it now, would you say top four, they're going to get top four?
3: No, I don't think they are. Um And I think the biggest reason is Eddie Howe's Listen to the boy a couple weeks ago where... We've Said if they're getting a Champions League, then he's probably going to go and get the sack and <laughs> um Conte or somebody will, will get the, the job for Newcastle. Um, no, I think this was the worry. Um, I, I think we were saying they may be knocking on the door, but it's just how consistent can they be? And these are the games that they should be winning. Um, they are no disrespect to Bournemouth who played very, very well. I'm really surprised. Um, they were actually quite. Quite funny to watch him that first half. Um it's, but that's a games Newcastle should be winning and the it's that is two points dropped, There's not a point gained. And until they consistently just take the bins out, get rid of the rubbish um, around them, um they won't be challenging that top four. So I think we found a level top six. That's a challenge next season. How do they have that killer instinct?
2: I absolutely agree, Jamie. Let's bring you on on that and um, Newcastle, um, and also just a little bit of Bournemouth because I think again that was probably their best performance Saturday for a long, long time. But you know, it's still it's, it's not. It, I don't think O'Neill's won since he's actually officially got got the job.
4: Yeah, that was. I think he won every game up until he got announced as official, and then it kind of it's kind of stagnated from there. But again, Bournemouth were always going to. St- put up a fight at some point. They were not going to get beat every single game up until the end of the season. Um and it was always going to be a, a gritty game. Um at, at Bournemouth Stadium. Newcastle are notoriously not good travelers. You think about Newcastle and all the tremendous results, 90% of them have all been at St James's Park. Nobody wants to go to St. James's Park at the moment because the fans are in they're all in Houston. The problem for Newcastle is going to be them on the road, whether they can still contribute and can get those goals. And I think at the weekend, um I think that was a classic example of probably what's going to happen now for Newcastle. And I don't want that to be because actually I've been, I've really enjoyed seeing Newcastle. But if you go back a couple of weeks and you think, and you've seen how much emotion and how much physical effort it took them to get to that cup final, that first cup final in so long, they must've been through so much in terms of emotion um, just to get there. Um, they, It's inevitable that they're going to drop off a couple of games. And I think we're just seeing that now. That in conjunction with the fact that everybody... So they've got to the cup final. Now they've got to focus on winning it. Trying to keep as many people as they can fit for that. They're trying to stay on the hunt for some sort of European football next season. Um, And I think that, that you add in the third fact, which is... Teams are getting better now. The teams that weren't doing so well are gonna inevitably start putting runs together and they're gonna start picking up points when potentially others aren't. Whether they can hold on to the spots. So I I don't think they'll finish in top four. I thought at one point they would, but I think the moment they got to that cup final, I pretty much wrote them off from um from, from a top two, top three finish because I think they've it's just taken so much out of them. Um, but the one thing I was I was glad to see is actually, um, Bournemouth spent a bit of money this window. Yeah. It's not bad for a team that are doing so absolutely poor. They still spend fifty million on two players. Um and I and I think one of the players scored, I think he scored their goal, didn't he? Um so it was good to see them finally start putting something together. They've been so reliant on Dominic Solanke, who I've always got to be soft spot for because he, he spent a good, a good few years at Liverpool. Um he just never got he just never got the run of the mill. He never got the he was one of these players that got six games and probably scored one goal at the six games and you know it. Then you start bringing in Salah and Mali and stuff, but it was just never going to kind of kick back in for him. Um, so I've always got a bit of a soft spot. It's championship stats are nearly as good as Mitrovic's last season. So he's got goals in him. It's just the Premier League, just a different class, isn't it? It's just a different step up. And I think Bournemouth are just victims of that. They've got a lot of players that are probably very good in the championship. But the moment you take that step up, it's just a whole different kettle of fish for them
2: absolutely and uh you know i just just said it there 50 million in january Bournemouth. like on absolutely.
4: two players on two players
2: <laughs> it is absolutely bonkers um but just just on uh, like newcastle just to finish up myself on newcastle i think if, if you asked any newcastle fan would you rather get top 4 uh, get in the champions league or finish in the top 6 and win a trophy i think they'd all pick top 6 and a trophy because that's a football club that's been starved of, of trophies, and to be honest, if any support deserve it, I think their years under Mike Ashley. I think they.
4: they... Well, I listened to something a couple of weeks ago, and one of the fans. It was the. It was. I think it was the day after they got to the cup final because it was like a midweek game, one, that um and, and I remember, I think it might have been talk, talk Sport. I think, and and they kind of put this poll out about Newcastle fans: would you would you take a cup now, or would you take a full finish? Every single one of them phoned up. Sorry, like every single one but one phoned up and said, "I would take the cup." And the reason being is that you've seen the progress that they've done this season. That's not going away. They're going to be progressing for the next three, four, five years at least. They're going to get in. They want that cup over
3: and done with. They want that cup. And I fully believe that. I think that's it. I'd buy your hand off it for now. Uh, see if you look at Spurs. On the other hand, like Spurs, were always going to go on the trajectory of the Champions League. <laughs> they were always going in that trajectory to be the Champions League club. Newcastle will be playing the Champions League. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. You need to win something along the way, or else it's not worth yeah. the fuck. Yeah,
2: that's that's the thing with, with, with especially the Premier League. It, it's come away from that FA Cup and Carling Cup uh, or Carabao Cup as it's called now. Um, no, that's good. not. It's, it's the top four cup now, isn't it? That, that's what everyone. That's what everyone. Sort of, and and, and you know, football's built on on trophies. It's uh, so yeah. It's that that for Newcastle fans, as I said, that that's the one they watch. Colin, let, let's stay with Spurs. Then you just mentioned they got absolutely thumped at, at the weekend by by Leicester. Um, Leicester looked very very good going forward, but then I'll sort of caveat that and say that Spurs at the back are an absolute bomb scare, and it could have been more than four. I think they had two goals disallowed Leicester for um, for tight VAR calls. Um, Spurs also got beat last night against Milan, and I thought they were they were pretty poor. The big big blow for them though is, is Uh Looks like he's I think he's their best midfielder. If I'm honest, he's going to be up for the rest of the season. That that's a huge blow for, for Spurs. How do you see them coping with it? And I think pressure is on them and, and Conte to get just at least top four. And I think that that's that you know that that might not happen either.
3: No. Um... I think I said this a couple of weeks ago, uh, or maybe last week, about his trying to look into the summer. Um, I, he's not. I, I nearly said I don't think he's interested. He's obviously interested, but I don't think he's fully bought into being at Spurs, and I don't know if that's maybe translating on either. Um, on the pitch, because they are so up and down. We spoke about them, but um, it was a Man City. Um, they, they played a couple weeks ago, and we all raved about them. How you know how brave they were off the ball when they worked to press, and then the absolute dog shit defending that they had at the weekend. And um, they like taking that in the way for Leicester. They were very, very good, but they they could have been average, and they still would have won the game. Um, and it's not something that you tend to label with a counter-side inconsistency, and um, that's why I'm thinking right, look, it is his heart fully in it, um, for better or for worse. It's always very, you know, people people stand where they may be, like they're quite rigid. Them they can, they follow the formation. Um, so I don't know. I think we'll see them go in a bit of a slump if I'm being honest, um, especially with that injury growing out. On Leicester, though, which is what I just what to guess you, I thought he, in actual, he was, he was unplayable um, at times. Um, he was just involved in everything. Um, he bullied the Spurs defence, got himself a goal, and I'm pretty sure a couple of assists as well. So he, just, just on Leicester, like, we were, I think we've all said, like, where's the goals got to continue to come from? Um, Now that Jamie Vardy's slowing down, and then that's uh, Mendy, Madison, uh, Barnes, Inacho, Chapman, and the as you say, Mason, it should have been many more.
2: Yeah, I, I think uh, it's important, as I say, Jamie, um, to, to bring that we that we probably do. We've got to concentrate more on Leicester than, than Spurs because uh, they've had a sort of tough run. They've had a lot of problems with injuries, but so have a lot of clubs this season with the World Cup sort of stuck in the middle of the season. But um, Colin makes a good point there. There's goals coming from everywhere. I thought Inacho had a really good game. The yeah. one for me though, I'm always impressed with is Harvey Barnes. I think he's. Uh, He's a really, really good player. Um, what, what's your thoughts on on him and, and Leicester?
4: Yeah, I, I think I think I think it was myself that said. Um... I fancy Leicester to be in the shavings for the bottom three because they just don't score goals. And since then, they've scored something like 11 goals in three games. It made me up to look like I'd be an absolute plum. Um, even the fact with the... as just even the boy Tete even got a goal. I didn't even know he could score goals. But um, I actually watched the Tottenham game. That was my choice um, of selection for the three o'clocks. I put Tottenham on. I watched the first 20 minutes. I seen Benthinko's goal. Um, and I thought, well, that's safe. Turned it over. And it turned into an absolute riot for Leicester, um, and and you know it's weird. it's got to be saying that Tottenham's defense is absolutely honking. Eric Dyer, for example, was probably at fault for about three of those goals at the weekend. His refusal to attack, you know, to stick a foot in, to 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 just even try and move it. What he was always what he was always focusing on was his position. He's got a, he's got a striker, any actual running at him on his wrong foot, and he actually wants to hit it with his left foot. He's running at him on his right. And Eric Dyer stands and does that thing where he puts his arms behind his back as though he's gonna shoot. And any actual ghosts him and you just think, that's so poor. Um I kind of feel sorry for Fraser Forster, who I don't necessarily rate either, but poor guy can't get a break. He's getting a run out and he's um even last night he made an absolute wildy do deck, double saver. Um you know, on the line, and they still go on and lose the game. Um, but yeah, sadly, I think Leicester are going to be okay this season. You now, I think it's hard to come away from it. Got a wee soft spot for Harvey Barnes. I think he's he's he's, he's brilliant. Um, he's so he's, he's so dimensional in terms of what he, you know what you're going to get. He's always going to run at you. He's going to turn you from left to right, and he's got a shot on him as well. Um, I, I really rate him. I think he's going to well. I'd be very surprised. I, I am surprised he's actually stayed at Leicester for so long, though um so i don't know if he's maybe just a Leicester of lads so i don't know if he just came through the ranks there but um he's, he's definitely an asset that they've got um that somebody would arguably take a punt on um i don't think he's a top six kind of lad um but i think you know when you're talking about teams that are looking for um options you know like a villa for example somebody coming off the wing um I, you know if leicester remain with this money issue. Um Brendan Rogers is the enigma, he's just a gift that I don't ever want. Um he's uh he kind of gets away with it, doesn't he? he? He gets himself in sticky situations, doesn't really lose the support of the fans. The players kind of really respect him um and 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 somehow he still pulls it out of the bag he still kind of gets away with it. Um, Brendan Rogers' problem is, is that in my opinion, no top six team will ever take another punt on him. Um, so, Leicester probably as his limit at the moment, um, unless he was to go abroad, and I just don't see him going abroad. Um, I think he's very British in his, in his approach to the game, um, and his man-management style as well. Um, surprisingly, the, the 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 boy that they've got um, at the back... Um, who scored their first goal Mendy, scored his first ever goal of the other day. And what an absolute belter it was. That was a proper FIFA goal that was, one not it? Um just run up and just smash it with a button and it rifled in the top corner. Don't care what goalkeepers in, in goal, that Nebdy saving that the pace on it. Um and then it just got worse for talking about on the back of that. Um, And I've always, I I think I said, I think I said in the very first episode of this podcast, I've got this thing about Kane, like, I really respect him and I really like him, but I think he's got a lot of flaws as well. When when Tottenham don't play well, it's because, in my opinion, Kane comes so deep. He wants to touch the ball and spin off and run behind. But if Kulisevski and Son aren't making the runs in behind him, he's just dragged everybody back to the midfield and then there's nobody up front to punt the ball to. And that happened a lot on Saturday. That happened a lot. He was so because he's the captain, he wants to get involved in the game. They were struggling at the back. He's trying to come back to midfield to help out. It. it leaves them exposed that they've got W up front and the last two defenders have got a field day. So um I think their last game they won, I think Colin said was the Man City game, which was um funny because that was the last one Conte missed. Conte's been back for the last two games and uh, they've not been they've not done good for the last two games. So um call from that as you will. But I don't see Conte being there at the end of the season.
2: No, I no. I think we all, all full ass on that one i think we'd all agree and just to say mendy with his first goal he's 31. um wow wow uh, and uh he's probably an absolute millionaire and he's finally scored a goal so there you go but uh colin we've got, we've got two two more games so we'll just quickly touch on on the, the final two uh, of this week's <clears throat> game palace um at home drew one one with 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 brighton strange rivalry this one i was apparently it's not officially a derby but there's a lot of a lot of hate um in it and uh flat as a pancake when you can sort of compare it to any uh any derby in scotland that's for sure but um we've got the var again this time um brighton scored um the the, the first goal in the first half that was ruled out for var and it was ruled out for offside the person that was doing the var and i don't think his name's come out yet You two boys might know but he drew the wrong lines on a, on a on a the wrong player so we've had Paul Mason, um, draw, not draw the lines. We've had um, VAR not coming into the most blatant penalty you ever see. And then someone drawing it on the, who they got in these VAR rooms? Like, what's going on? That that was the biggest one. I, 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 I've said that all night. That was one of the, big, the biggest ones of the season so far.
3: I know what a weekend for the referees, eh? Um, aye, it's a weird derby. Um, uh, is it like the M6 derby or something? Because that's like that, yeah. there's a fucking there's a better atmosphere when I take my morning piss. honestly, that's <laughs> if that's what you're calling a derby, man, you may as well just chuck your game eh? um, away. <laughs> but it's absolute just beggar's belief, and again, another one of these, similar to the Arsenal one. You don't need the lines to to be able to use your eyes. Like he's visibly offside and the the amount of points of failure there. Um look at the lines and look at where the players are standing, then make your judgment it was absolute nonsense. Um on the game itself, but Brighton absolutely battered Palace. and um, they start to finish um it's up the the, the biggest robbery is um that Brighton done this role like three, four goals and this is um I said well, people do need to be now that Tross has away, they need players to be more clinical, more ruthless. McAllister could have got two or three. Um at least Solymarse took his role well, but he, he's probably one who has to be chipping in with more as well. Um it's um I it's a robbery. like obviously the Brighton were um they gifted Palace that goal um way, dropping the ball. Vieira even said at the, the, the end that Brighton played very very well. That's a it's a level of performance we've we expect to see for Brighton, but they just need to be clinical. Um, aye, so robbery in more than more than one way.
2: No, I think he's a decent keeper. The Brighton, the Brighton goalkeeper is, you know, I think he's had a, a really good season. But yeah, gifted um, t- t- uh, James Conkins a goal for Palace, and it was a you know important point for them because they're not been doing too well. Lately, but um, yeah, that will be known for the again another messed up for VAR. Jamie finishing off then uh, this week's um, last fixture was Fulham beat Forest 2 0. Uh, both me and you was really comp- complimentary of, of Fulham uh, last week at, at Stamford Bridge. And William was one that we both picked out and he scored an absolute peach
4: goal of the weekend, S- in my opinion.
2: Yeah, that, a great finish on his weak foot, by the way, cut across it right into the, the top corner i actually think they can get top top 6 top not maybe not top 6 top 7 uh, and, and maybe get that conference league um because you know it's all it's going you know you've got brentford up there brighton up there um so it's all to play for
4: yeah i, th- I, th- I think you know um fulham fulham's final position it's kind of the same, it's, you could make the same argument about Brighton, about Brentford. I don't think their final position comes down to them. I think it comes down to how well the other teams kick it back in gear. Like, if Liverpool and Chelsea and Tottenham, all these guys kind of turn into, you know, step the game up. Unfortunately, these other teams just start to drift back down naturally. Um, and I think it's inevitable at some point that actually might happen. Um, I think... The good thing is, as I kind of said the other day, um, we were talking about how important Mitrovic is. Well, he's, he is massively important, but actually now other people are chipping in with goals. Willian, I think he's scored two games in a row now. Um, and and he, he looks as though he's getting younger every game he plays. It's He's, he's ridiculous. Um, I really, really like him. Um, the, the lad in the midfield, Polina, looks to be doing an absolute shift. Fulham look like an absolutely solid little unit right now. Um, I think the challenge will be for them as you on the road. You know, the same same for Newcastle, same for Brentford. It's when they go away, can they get these points? Can they pick them up? Um, I, and, and you know, do they get them on a consistent basis? Um, games at Fulham, you traditionally think of on an evening, night time under the lights, Fulham fans close to the pitch, getting right on top and back of the stick of the fans and, you know, getting right into the motion. When they're away from home, it's a totally different game for them, um, and and that's where that's where the big thing will come from. But the, the biggest the biggest asset they have is the manager, and we talked about that recently as well. You know, he's uh, he's got them ticking well. He looks comfortable in his position, It doesn't look as though he's was always. Um, how can I say this? Fulham look as though they're overachieving, but Marco Silva doesn't look as though he's overachieving. Nah. If that makes sense, it's. We all know Marcus Silva's probably got more in him. He, he looks as though he's going to be a good manager going forward. But it's probably not going to be at Fulham for long. But Fulham are playing out the skin at the moment. Well, they're doing really, really well. Um, so uh, it'll be interesting to see how they get on. Um, I, I kind of want Mitrovic to work. Uh, we, said if, we said that obviously he'd had a, a few post-seasons in the Premier League. So it was about time that he kind of got the plaudits and got a, you know, a good season under his belt. But again, does he stay at Fulham? Does he not stay at Fulham? Somebody somewhere is probably going to take a punt on him if he does start turning it on again. Um, it's it's whether they keep hold of the stars that they have. I fully anticipate somebody to come knocking on the door. I would anticipate in the end of the season, and Fulham fans will probably hate me for saying this, but I think Andres Pereira is going to be turning heads. I think William's going to be turning heads. Mitrovic is turning heads and Paulina is turning heads. Even the boy Tetti, I think so. I think read the other day they paid three million for that lad. Um, he played an absolute, he's playing absolutely scan as well. These are all people. These are all players that realistically might move on. They might, you know, they might make about a better buck out of. But for now, they've, they they look gelled. Um, they look at they look a unit, and I think the big difference between them and Brighton is Brighton. You don't know where the goals are coming from. Fulham, you know where the goals are coming from. Brentford, you know where the goals are coming from. You know you've got your Tony and Bat. I think the Brentford's going to be all about when Tony's discipline thing comes through um, for the for the for the for the betting um, when when they make a decision on that because it's ultimately going to, in my opinion, it's ultimately going to end up in a ban and it'll happen this season. It's just when they're going to probably going to do that. That'll be how Brentford react to that and and what they do different. Um, So I think they're all very very similar teams. Um, And just to clarify, it was John Brooks. Who was the VAR guy for Brighton? He was meant to be doing at the Liverpool um, Everton game and was stripped about three hours before kickoff, um, and kicked back out. And uh, so, yeah, I was thankful for that. And it's the M23 derby, but nobody ever calls it a derby. Oh, yeah, there you go. That's what you
2: need, Jamie. For there on there, isn't it? Um... <laughs>
3: Just to clarify. Why do just say for the M74, I don't give a fuck. It's all to me, man. <laughs> it's a rivalry, not a, not a derby.
2: <laughs> Brilliant. But I think you make it, again, a really good cool point, Joey, about about Fulham. And, yeah, I think Fulham and Brentford have got more goals in them than, than Brighton. Yeah. Um, but, it's yeah, it's that when Tony's band comes in, that's going to really put into play and, and affect Brentford. But... But lads, that that was the ten. Uh, as always, we're gonna we'll finish off with the question uh, this week, and um, unfortunately, we couldn't have Graham to, to join us tonight. Uh, maybe we'll get it the start of next week. We all know uh, where we where went anyway. <laughs> yeah. Colin, um, it's the old debate, um, so I've thrown it in there in our in, in this you know series early on. Um, you've got one mid one shirt there, midfield in their prime. Who you taking? skulls, Gerrard, or Lampard?
3: Right. I think um, long term listeners will know my um my immediate answer. But I, I want to caveat it a we but I think you, you've got, you said one jersey left in midfield. And to be fair, I think it would really depend on what you're needing in that midfield if you do need just somebody to sit and you know um just tidy up the midfield and just keep the ball recycling. You've got to take strolls if you want somebody to choose to add goals and you've got the the dynamic number eight behind you, or and you're sitting midfield, you've got to get Lampard. But see if you want it all, you're going to take Stevie G, and yeah, he's um, he's he's probably the last to uh, the Royal Rovers or uh, take him out of uh, Britain, choose uh, to that one man band, he can turn the game around himself. Um, I absolutely fell in love with him, uh, watching Liverpool when I was younger. I'd never had any affiliation to Liverpool. Can you care for them. Sorry, Jamie. But Stephen Gerrard, I'm buying him massively. My very ever first podcast on Art and Hand was me and Jamie doing uh, um, Steven chat. a, a Stephen Gerrard chat. I um, absolutely love the guy. That's cemented even more now with 55. So, but taking that away, it's just... He could defend, he could attack and just, he was the most rounded player out of the three of um, All three of have different attributes, he's the most rounded and I think he generally is the best midfielder to ever play in the Premier League. Oh, there you go, he's, he's backed it up well there. Um, yeah, I, I won't give my answer just yet. Jamie, I
2: think I know yours already, are you backing, backing, coming up?
4: Yeah, I'd I, I love to try and stay controversial, but there's absolutely no way I'm going against the grain on this. Um, being a big pulled up fan, I'm always going to say Jared, but I'm probably going to try and give it context. And I think, you know, Lampard doesn't even come into conversation for me because I would say Lampard was as good as he was because of the team he was playing with. The individuals they had in that Chelsea team when he was playing at his best... He, he, he thrived off, play, off playing off people like Didier Drogba. You know, he he was the, the late runner into the box, sweeping in. You can always pretty much picture his goals as they, every time he scored. Arriving late in the box, sweeping up the right foot and it swept into the corner. He was brilliant at scoring goals, but I think it was a, that was an indication of how that team played. Um, and I think he reaped his rewards from that. And, you know, well done to him, absolutely, as you would say. Scholes is different. Scholes, Scholes was a different era. School was in the nineties into the two thousands either. Um Scholes had a bit of different about him than what Lampard did. He wouldn't traditionally come into the he didn't come in the box late. He was normally the boy carrying it into the box. Um his goal record for being a wee small ginger fucking fanny was probably outstanding. But there's something about him that he got well. i, I remember the two goals he scored at Hamden, um, against Scotland. Like he just you there was something about him that you just had to admire and, and applaud him for. I also give him props that he actually did, I don't know if you know this, he actually did all of his playing career without a man, without an agent. He did all of his own contracts uh, because he just loved the club. He, he he kind of he did all of his own negotiating, didn't take anybody in. Him and Sir Alex just sat down with a cup of tea and he, he spoke about that, you know, kind of had to buy his own
3: staff, JJB.
4: Uh, yeah, <laughs> yep. it, it, it's something you have to admire about him. But Colin hit it nail on the head. But if you're looking for your last shirt, somebody that brings everything to the table, somebody that can do everything. I go back from his first game where he was a deep holding, you know, uh, right back trying to maraud into uh, a centre back position. Then he gets pushed into a midfield. <clears throat> then he starts playing right behind the striker. Gerald just did it all. And, and I think what stood Jared out is that he didn't have the drug was around him. He had he had good players. He had like uh, Fernando Torres, he had Luis Suarez, he had the Xabi Alonso's, but that's all he had. You know, when you go back to Lampard, you think of the team that they had around them. You had 12, sorry, 11 world-class players. Liverpool probably had about two or three at any given time. Um, and I think that was the difference for Jared. He had to do more. He had to stand out more. And, and, He's an absolute legend. Um, my favourite player of all time used to be Kenny Dalgleish. For me, Gerrard overtook that um, by a country mile. Um, I just wish he would have won more trophies doing it. But again, that goes back to the whole, you know, um, if he would have moved on, for example. But he was an absolute royal. of the Rovers, probably the last of a dying breed, as you call it. Um, you know, you just don't build them like Gerrard anymore. Um, I, I remember, I remember hearing. I've watched a few like um, interviews with people that retired, um, and they talked about the time of even going into the England camp, and they've all said your Crouchies, your Jimmy Bollards, kind. Of, they've all said that playing alongside Gerard was different. Like that, that was the highlight of their international, uh, their international get together. Was 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 training with Gerard because of how intense he was, even in, just in training. Um, Jimmy Bullard said it. I think it was bested. He said that he said he, he, he got onto the park and he was kind of just flicking a ball about. He says and Gerard fizzed a ball at him, and he and he didn't trap it and he bounced off him and he looked and Gerard just giving these eyes and he says, "I shot myself." He says I shot myself because he says it wasn't because he was an arsehole or anything. He says but it's just a different standard. It was just a completely different level with Gerard, and he wanted that from everybody. Um, so. Yeah, Gerard every single day of the week for me.
2: Yeah, and no, I can't really argue with with your point to make about about Gerard, but I'm definitely gonna go against the grain. I'm gonna go with Paul Schultz. Um, I he was <clears throat> I think he was someone that I watched went live um, at, at Upson Park, um, and he I, still the best player I've ever seen live that performance. Um, they're very different to, to Scholes and Lampard. I'll give you that. And maybe the question is a little bit flawed, but I've never seen someone, and I still haven't seen anyone. You know, maybe Kevin de Bruyne actually comes into that the way he passes a ball. Um, and someone that scored goals, by the way. I don't think Skulls got gets enough credit for the amount of goals he scored for for Man United and you, some of the big goals he scored. He scored important goals, didn't he? That important was important games, important yeah. games, and uh. Both both times they won the Champions League. Um, he, the goals, you know, the semi final. He didn't play in the final for both, but he was absolutely huge in, in getting there. Um, it is close because Gerard, I think, carried Liverpool. You know, Jamie, as you said, you know better than me for, for a long mm-hmm. time. But but Paul's goals, uh, te- technically, I think he could have played for in that that boss, Bar- that famous Barcelona team. I don't think I don't, personally don't think Gerard and Lampard would have suited it. I think Scholes would have fitted in like a glove. Um, so I'll, I'll go against the, the grain on, on that one, boys. But uh, listeners, get 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 your, your answers in the comments if you you know. There's that big Lampard fans. We've not really spoke about him enough there, but um, it's definitely a, a very very good debate. So just all that's left to do tonight is thank the the two guests uh, we, we we had on. It was really enjoyable. So thank you, Colin. Appreciate it.
3: Cheers, Mason. Cheers, Jamie. Thanks, listeners. Always a pleasure.
2: And Jamie, hopefully, you know, Liverpool are on a roll now. So, you, you know, you've got your win. You, you're already looking for to, to next week, but thanks for coming on.
4: Yep. Um, well, guess where we're away to? St. James's Park. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: nobody wants to go to fucking
4: St. James's Park, so uh, fingers crossed but hey they may, they, they might rest because they've obviously got the cup final coming up the week after I think the cup final is the same day as the Scottish cup final the 26 the 26th so um, fingers crossed he puts all the kids out anyhow if you're listening as Colin said <laughs> but thanks again for having me on I appreciate it
2: no, Brilliant um, and, and just to finish that off, Arsenal um, have been beaten at home by Manchester City 3-1 which I'm sure we will talk about next week And there is a good chance. I think that uh, Man uh, Man City could be top of the league by our next show uh, next week. I think that's very possible. But as always...
4: They're they're top now. They're top on goal difference. Are they they top top now on goal (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Arsenal have a game in hand, but Man Man City are top on goal difference. So they would definitely
2: be top for the next week. (laughs) (laughs) uh, As always, thanks for listening and take care.